and welcome to Oho Ake Books Podcast. My name is Fareus Lysander. I'm going to talk about my illustrators today, the people that work with me who do illustrations for me and work with me as part of my team. I have two people on my team of illustrators currently. One of them is a cat called Stephen Templer, who's an artist and an illustrator of extraordinary talent, magnificent chap too, fine sportsman. And of course, there's the lovely Amber Cobra, who's been working with me for 13 years. Both of them are very different in their offerings and what they bring to the table and what they bring to my universe, Oho Arke, when they work with me. They both have their own art. They both have their own collections of art. They both have their own worlds that they've created themselves. And, of course, they're both very, very talented people, incredibly talented, in fact. And I'm, it's privilege. I'm a privileged man to work with these two amazing individuals. Now, you can find Stephen Templer's work at stephentemplar.co.nz, Dreamboat, The Art and Adventures of Stephen Templer, and Amber Cobra, acdesign.co.nz. I'll plug them again at the end of this podcast, but that was me just telling you now about them. Amber Cobra has worked with me for 13 years. I've mentioned this before briefly in my, one of my first podcasts that when in 2008, when I first initially began to get in this process of creating the Oho Arke universe, my partner at the time, Brooke, understood that I was going through a pretty rough patch in regards to some people in my life that had actually ripped me off for illustrations that I was going to get for my covers, which was a drag, man, a big drag. One of these cats who I gave a lot of money to to do some illustrations for my covers of my books had a drug problem, and he ripped me off, and we're no longer friends because of it. And I feel sad about that, we're no longer friends, but, you know, man, this cat had a serious drug problem, and him and a mate basically devised a cheeky plan to try and, what, to rip me off almost $2,000 New Zealand to take it away and buy this particular substance that they were hooked on. And uh, they did. They they, um, they fooled me, and I, I was really disappointed. And um, the nature of what happened next was that I had to leave my flat because I was terrified of the people they were hanging out with would come in to my house to look for more means to get more money out of me to buy more of that substance that they were hooked on. And it was highly unpleasant. And uh, I had to move out of the flat. I did eventually. It didn't go down too well moving out of that flat. I wish I actually stayed there for as long as I could have, but I moved out of there. I was a cool place right across the road from Lyle Bay here in Wellington, across from the ocean. And I tell you right now, back then I wasn't surfing, but if I was living back there again now, I'm still living there. The houses are no longer there that I was living in, but if I lived there for longer, I would have been surfing a lot more because I was right across the road from the beach, man. I would have been surfing almost every day I could. But I digress. Brooke came to me and said, look, my friend Jade, who works at a Whanganui Design School, is a tutor up there. She's a design tutor. How about I ask her if she can get your, her third-year students or her students to do a cut to do an illustration for you, a project for you, to do your illustrations for your cover for you. Now, this is a story I have told before, but I'll tell you again. And I'll expand on the story because I've got more time now to talk about it. So what happened was that I said, that's a brilliant idea. Oh, my God, that's a, that's a fucking brilliant idea. So thanks to Brooke. I got hold of Jade, and Jade said, yeah, it's a really good idea. My students have got something more practical to work with. And I'd love to do that, I'm sure. So she put it to her third-year design students. 
And I told a couple of my friends, one of them was a, was a cinema, I was a film student who had just finished film school. I said, look, I'm going to do this project. I want to go up to Whanganui Design School. I'm going to go up there three times in, th- in about two months, and they're going to do a cover illustrations for me, and I want to go up there. I want to film my process. I want to film the process of me being up there with stills and with camera as well. So I went up there with my friend Craig, and Craig filmed me driving up there talking about my experience. I don't know where that footage is now, to be honest. I'd love to know where it was. But I drove up there, and we talked about me driving up there while I was going up there, what I was expecting. This is the second time. The first time, um, Brooke and I went to a Whanganui for a weekend together, and hung out with Jade for the weekend. I went and approached the students. I was really nervous, to be honest. I was really nervous about this whole project and sitting down in front of a class full of people, like 30 people. It wasn't really my jam to talk to people at the time like that. I wasn't really – I didn't feel confident in my own public speaking persona. But I, I uh, explained to the, the students that I wanted two covers, and those two covers were the covers for the short story collections i just written, which was The Light Guides the Way by Pablo Wairua, and The Darkness Holds Sway by Lord Buford Somerset. These are the two collections of short stories, the horror macabre, erotic dark fantasy short stories, and the emotional, inspirational, powerful, uplifting, spiritual, conscious, awakening short stories. Part of my Shadow and Soul series, the first two books in the Shadow and Soul series in regards to the short stories. So I went up there and I said, this is what I want to see. I gave them a lot of room, a lot of wiggle room to interpret what I said to them and to find their own way. So I wanted them to really express themselves in a way that I could be able to see what they were going to bring to the table for me, how they interpreted what I said to them. I didn't give them like, okay, a hard and fast, this is what I want, bang, 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 bang. It was more like, okay, you're all creative people, you're in this element now, I want you to explore your own creativity. I want you to hear what I say and go through the process of exploring how you would interpret what I say to you and how you go about creating it. So I gave them all that wiggle room and I was blown away. I went away for about two and a half, well, maybe three weeks. I was gone away from them. I went back there to see the first drafts, a lot of the work that they had done. And I was just blown away by the level of skill that these students were creating the artwork for the covers their interpretations were so vivid, so powerful. They had taken what I said in regards to what the characters looked like and interpreted them in a very different way often, but in a way that was was certainly beautiful. And I loved every single cover that I saw pretty much. Almost all of them, I loved them all. I thought, wow, I'd love to use all these covers for books. I really would. This was the first draft when I first saw them. I gave them a few hints here and there. Asked them to change a few things, asked them to move around a few things, and got a bit more in depth with the characters and gave them a bit more of an idea of the characters themselves, what the characters were like, and what I wanted them to interpret in regards to the, the characters' formation throughout that story collection and how they'd be at the end of that book after writing these books. It was really important to get to that place as well with them. So Craig was up there with me on the second time we went up there, and he filmed me in the car driving up there talking about my experience, what I was expecting. And we got to the design school. I walked into the room where the students were working, and I got a bunch of stills of me walking through and looking at a bunch of the of the images that were that were being presented to me at the time. And like I said before, I was just blown away by the quality of the work. I didn't pick Amber on the spot on the first draft. I saw her work and thought that's really amazing work. I really liked it right away. When the moment I saw it, it was eye catching in regards to how she interpreted what I asked of her. 
that was the big thing right away for me. And also the use of colors. Now she, I asked her, what colors would you be using with this particular design? And she said, this, 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 and this. And I was like, oh, yeah, rich, earthy colors. I like that already. I like the earthy colors. I like the sense of the nature of where you're going with, with the covers, the colors of on this co- on, in these covers. I like the design already. I like where you're going with that. Mm, this is fantastic. So I filmed it, took pictures and stills, went back to Wellington. I was thrilled with this process. It was like, wow, I'm, I'm really, I feel like I was part of something quite special and quite wonderful and really blessed to have this experience. Thanks to Jade and to Brooke. Went back on the third time for the last part of my process and Craig was there too with me filming my actual, my, my thank you to all the students and I chose Amber. Now I can't quite remember what happened in regards to me choosing Amber and me working with her at the time when I actually said to her, hey look, I'm so appreciative of your work. I want to work with you. I can't remember the moment, the time, I've done a lot of things since then. It's been 13 years. All I know that is that when I chose her work, I was just like thrilled. I was so thrilled to have the opportunity to work with her. Now, Amber and I have worked together for 13 years, and she's done various covers for me and interpreted various covers for me. But I've always given her enough wriggle room to be able to interpret things the way that she chooses to, and I let her have that room to be creative. I still have a quite strong impression of what I'd like to see, but... The thing with Amber is that her intuitive ability to work with me now is quite profound. If I give her a skeleton, she'll fill in all the bones and the muscles and the sinews of that, of that cover, make it into a body of work, take in all the finer details of the, of the network of, the, of blood capillaries and veins and also arteries and, and organs, all the things that make up a book cover. You think, okay, this is what I want to see from me personally. This is what I want to see. I imagine in my head what it looks like right away. I kind of get a strong impression, a strong image of what I want to see in regards to a book cover. It comes in like an overlay. Boom, I see it brightly and clearly in my mind, how it's going to look, what what's going to be, how the feeling is of the book cover. What do I feel when I see it? What do I see when I see colors? What do I, what do I envision when I see this particular book? How does it feel to open up the first page of it? How does it feel to be able to read the first few words? How is that book cover going to be a beautiful introduction to that book? How is it going to signify what you're about to experience when you open it up and read it? Those are very important things for me. How, when someone sees the book cover, how are they going to be, what's the first impression that they're going to feel? Are they, are they going to want to look at it and pick it up and read it? Now, I mean, pick it up and read it in a way that's not going to be in a handheld way because all my books are e-books. Are they going to see it and go, oh, I want to buy that book? I mean, by pick it up, pick it up in regards to having a Kindle or an e-reader or a computer and go, oh, I want to buy this book. I want to read it right away because the cover's pulling me in to find out what's going on more about it. What's what's going on inside? I want to know more about this book. I want to know more about what the writer has written in this book. Most covers I see in regards to books, a lot of them I see are just like yawn. Just, they're almost they're almost in some way I think they're almost formulaic they're almost formulaic and you know it's the marketing process that for big publishing companies that make shit books great books you know and of course that's subjective to me it's always going to be subjective but, my, but for me great artwork on the cover of a book might you know for some people it might take away the essence of what the book's about they might see the great artwork and think oh amazing artwork but I'm not sure about the, how the book's going to resonate with me if, it, if at all other people look at the artwork on a book and go like, oh, that's just, yeah, that looks, looks like shit to me. I'm not even going to bother to pick it up. I'm not even going to bother to read the back of it, the synopsis. 
But for me, this is a composite process, this process of having the book covers and the, and the actual writing itself inside of the book that I want them to match. I want them to have a, an equal playing ground. And you can pick up that book, you can look at that book and go, I'm going to buy that book. And the moment you read, start open it up and start reading it, you understand why the cover looks exactly the way it looks. You get a greater understanding of why the cover is looking like that, why it looks that way. Why did the, why did the writer create a cover that looked like that? Because I want you, the reader, to read my books and go, oh, that's why the cover looks like that. This scene in the book or this particular character or the author's situation is why the cover looks like this. Oh, the author comes from there. Ah, oh, okay, that's why the cover looks like that. And all the stories basically come from there. Ah, oh, that's why the cover looks like that. Oh, that story's in the book. That's why the cover's like that. Ah, oh, that's why there's that there and that there. I see. That's why there's whales in that cover. Ah, oh, yeah. Now I get it. Okay. Right. And the stars. Okay. Now it all makes sense, you know? I want people to be able to pick up my books and say, I want to buy that book. It looks amazing. The cover looks incredible. And that's part of my process as well, is to have that understanding. For me, anyways, I've gotten into the creative, energetic expression that I have someone working with me that understands where I'm going with this and what I'm, what I'm creating. And Amber has been instrumental for me in regards to where I've gone with this. And I, I got a cover back from her from A Flickering Light Called Fate which is my book of poetry, my cathartic book of poetry about Inga and I and our relationship, like the two years I spent with her. And I gave Amber a pretty clear picture of what I wanted to see, and she sent me back something that just blew my fucking mind. Just like, wow. The back cover of that book, so I was, I was going to do a, a short run of copies of hard copy or paperbacks of this book, because I, I thought the book was only like 30, 40 pages long, but when I got the book back from my proofreader and my editor, I discovered the book was over 70 pages. I was like, okay, you know, right now I'm doing full-time podcasts, full-time doing videos, full-time learning, upskilling, thanks to Aaron Doughty and Victor Odo's full-time purpose accelerator course. I'm also trying to hold down a day job where I can actually get some jobs. I should say I'm holding on. My day job is all those things. I'm also researching, doing writing blogs, and I'm also looking to try and maintain a, a place where I'm actually acting out of a practical sense, making some money. And I'm going back to my old hustle, which is painting, interior, exterior, decorating. And I'm doing that, doing trying to do one or two jobs a month to pay for all that I'm going through, the processes I'm going through to pay my rent, pay my bills, to pay the people that work for me still because I'm stopping bills coming in for my, my publishing company. So I'm doing all of that. And I also I'm trying to maintain friendships with friends and create new friendships with certain friends as well. So I've got this ridiculous balance of things I'm teetering and I'm so busy. It's crazy. But I can't really, at this time in my life, I do not choose to, I should say. I can. I can, but I'm choosing not to do any, any publications other than ebooks because it keeps my costs down. Eventually, I want to do a KDP series. I really do. And I have all the back covers for all the books as well because Amber's gone through that process with me as well and created back covers for the books, for all of them, pretty much. And I do want to have paperbacks. I'm, I am a tactile guy. I want to hold a book in my hand. I love that feeling of holding a book in my hand. And the day that I have a box arrive at my house, with all my books in it that I've written will be the most glorious day of my life, to be able to hold in my hand and sniff the pages, sniff, sniff the paper, look at it, feel it tactile in my fingers, peel the pages back, look at it. I mean, wow. Incredible experience. 
So Amber and I have worked together since, since 2008, and I've seen the various covers that she's created for me over the years. And there have been many. I've gone through many, many changes in certain books. I've been drawn to certain covers and created new covers for old books. I've given Sanctum three covers over the years. Uh, the first one was inspired, but I really looked at it, and I thought, no, this is not what I want. The second one and the third one I got from Amber, one's a, is Kobe walking on the Antarctic ice towards the mountains in the middle of the continent in the daytime, and there's an illustration of Kobe walking into the Antarctic continent at nighttime with the southern lights coming over uh, his head in the sky. Now, I chose for the ebook the southern lights uh, nighttime image, which is powerful to me, very, very powerful, given the nature of how the story plays itself out. And that's probably, you know, and that, that alone for me is probably the, that cover there is the most stirring of all my covers of books. I find that really stirring and quite emotional when I look at that cover because I know what Kobe's journey is like and how much he sincerely trusts in the process, his conviction, his determination, his sense of trust and surrender to that trust and that deep, 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 deep knowing something else, man. And that's who I want to become. I want to become this character. And this is something I'll talk about in another blog. But back to the illustrations. So Amber has created a new cover for me for A Flickering Light Called Fate, which is Equal Grace's collection of poems. That's the last cover she's done for me. And she's got another cover coming by the end of the year for a dance called Dwarka, which is my book for Holly Hamilton, which is also beautiful. I imagine that Amber's interpretation of that book, her book that book cover, will be just as spectacular, if not more, and it'll be the icing on the cake in regards to the last 14 years of work. It'll be 14 years of me working with her Really excited about that. Really, really excited about that. Now, I've known Stephen Templer for many years, many, many years. Now, unfortunately for Wellington, Stephen Templer was and always will be to me part of the Wellington furniture. He is an institution in Wellington. He's basically, he's been instrumental in so many artistic projects in the city and so many fun things that he's created in the city. A sense of community in the city, in Wellington City itself, in regards to certain suburbs where he's been living for many, many years until he moved away from there two years ago, was just massive. He was part of this Wellington community creatively, more so than anyone I've ever met in the in city since being here since, since 2002, 2003. Him and his friend Calvin Harris, they were to me, and they were like the creative nexus that Wellington's creativity moved around for many, 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 many years. And it's really a shame to say this, that him moving to Auckland up into Kumu because he could get funding for artistic endeavours in Auckland where the funding has all moved to is sad because, you know, to lose an icon like this to Auckland to me is heartbreaking. I know he's happier up there now. He's got a tiny home that he built himself, which is beautiful, beautiful two-story uh, tiny home uh, on wheels on a trailer. And also he's decorated the entire place, painted the entire tiny house himself with his own art. If you go onto his website, which is stephentemple.co.nz, and look at, if you scroll down the page, you'll see street art and walls. You'll see Stephen standing in front of his house truck with a picture of a beautiful image that he's painted on the back of his house truck. And uh, it's quite spectacular, quite spectacular. And I think it's probably the color use, but also the brevity of the color. And the use of only a few colors still brings out the power of the image that he's painted on the back of his house truck. Quite spectacular. So he's moved up to Kumu in Auckland from Wellington after being here for many, 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 many years. And so has Calvin as well. They brought land up there with the three other friends, well, four other friends. Well, there's actually four of them all together, not 
There's two of them, Calvin and Stephen, and two other friends as well. I bought land up there in Kimia, and they all live up there now. And they've got mad props. Stephen used to do a whole bunch of work for Lord of the Rings. Now, Peter Jackson, uh, he was basically the person, one of the people that was instrumental in creating a lot of the elven architecture and elven jewelry and elven clothing and all the Rivendell art and a lot of the Rivendell expression in that movie. You'll see it's all a lot of that Stephen's, Stephen's design. He's instrumental. So he's been brought onto Lord of the Rings, an Auckland TV series. He's been working on that for about almost eight months, I think, almost finishing up pretty soon, I imagine, July, I think they said they're finishing up for the series. So he and I have been friends for a long, long time. We played cricket together for a while, indoor cricket for a while, which is quite classic, through a friend of mine, Tom Beauchamp, or Beauchamp. I call him Beauchamp. It sounds cooler, and it's more appropriate for Tom. <laughs> now, Tom and I and Stephen go back a long way. We met each other back in 2004, 2005. Now, I asked Stephen to come on board to do some illustrations for me, for my, for my, uh, my covers, my, my authors, excuse me, my, my authors, not my covers. I said to him, look, would you be interested in doing some author images for me, for my authors, the authors that, that write with me and through me? And he said, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to do that. So initially, I told him what I perceived to be the authors. This is Armand Sueño, Pablo Wairua, Lord Buford Somerset and Ehor Grace. I haven't given him a description of Dick Swab yet. It'll come probably in the new year, in 2022, I think, before I publish that book, when I, when I eventually get around to finishing it, because right now it's almost impossible for me to do anything other than the content I'm doing right now for my website and for, my, uh, for YouTube and for podcasts, eventually for Spotify and for iTunes. And also hold down my day, my day hustle and also study Victor Odo and Aaron Dowdy's full-time purpose accelerator. <laughs> And hold on, something akin to a social life. I mean, it's just madness. I'm so fucking busy. It's crazy. But Stevie's illustrations, I told him what I perceived these characters and what they were to me, right? How they interacted with me and the books themselves, how I perceived their, their natures, how I perceived their ability to delve into different worlds, how I looked at their ability to interpret their visions and their, their, their clear audience, so that what they were being told and what they were, what they were seeing. And I felt also it was really important to give the origins of these particular authors as well and what had happened to them during this, this story. So I, I took Pablo Wairua from Entwined and took his history, his genetic history, and where, he, where he'd come from, as far as his father had come from, where his mother had come from, and where he was basing himself, where he had moved through his childhood before I'd even written United. I, I told Stevie about how Pablo would move from Bolivia where his mother would take him back to as a wee, very small child, would move from Bolivia into Peru, into Peru to the coast, then to Rapa Nui, then to, and then eventually to Aotearoa, New Zealand, where he'd come and trained to become Tohonga. So Stevie did me a beautiful illustration with magical, deep, vibrant, earthly colors for Pablo and made this gorgeous illustration that brought in together both Aotearoa and South America and South America and the Andes and Machu Picchu. And I was like, wow, just blown away by the, his origin stories and where he'd come from. And of course, the incident that happens at the end of Entwine, he brought in the Miss Maiden as well, which was quite special. I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. Man, amazing work. And then with uh, Lord Buford Somerset, I brought in Morvarad, who's an instrumental character in United, but she has a big part to play as well. In, entwined, 
And if you go back and look at her history, it's quite fantastic. And I wanted her to be, to be a part of the image of Buford Somerset. I wanted to have the image of him from the end of Entwined, where he's sitting in front of the fire, scribbling away on a pad and paper, all these tales that are filling his head. But I wanted to also bring in the element of the, his possessor, the being that's in his body, that's sharing his body in order to survive. I'm not going to say any more than that because I want people to read the book and find out for themselves who the entity is and why they need to be in his body and what happens to him at the end of Entwined and why this particular scene is so important. So I have Buford Somerset sitting in his wheelchair in front of the fire. Stephen put him in a, smoking a cigarette and his, in his smoking jacket, which was fantastic, I thought, because of the period piece where he's sort of doing this and where he's come from. And, of course, the, the big, tall reptilian character next to the fireplace. I won't tell you who that is. You have to read the book to find that out. And then behind him is Mulvarad in her beautiful pre-entwined and pre-historical clothing from a long, long time ago. We're talking antiquity, we're talking antediluvian Mulvarad, how she would have looked, not in the book itself entwined, but how she would have looked when Buford's character, his consciousness, <laughs> first met her. Let's put it that way. And then with Armand Sueño, I told Stephen that he's a guy that walks the line between the light and the dark. He's a guy that is the epitome of the yin-yang symbol where he's basically in the middle of, it, of the yin and yang. He's able to look into the depths of the darkness with the light of awareness. And by doing that, can bring the two together and mold them together to create a vivid and clear image and walk that line between the light and the dark. And this is my this is Armand Sueño. For some reason, I really I saw Armand Sueño standing up with one leg on a wooden chair, bare feet, standing there on this wooden chair one day. I saw him standing there in front of me, one leg on a wooden chair, his arms crossed on his front leg, just looking at me, just staring at me and smiling at me. And I thought, wow. Brown suit, gray hair, looking like a cross between... Gabriel Garcia Marquez and sort of a Rapa Nui native, looking very much this this kind of this mestizo flavour, this beautiful man with an enriching deep glare and a deep entrancing latific grin on his face. Looking at me going like, Welcome. Welcome to my world. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Amazing. And of course Stevie Stephen took that information like I shared with him and made this incredible image. Incredible image which blew my mind when I saw it. I was like, oh my God, that is just so fantastic. I was so happy. So, and all the books that I've written as these three, with these three characters, these parts of myself, you'll find one of the first pages you'll find in the books, in the ebooks, is an image of the illustration. And this goes for the same thing as well for the Ehor Grace books that are coming out as well. I've got an Ehor Grace image as well, which I'll talk about in a moment. But I wanted to get also one more image from a friend of mine I still work with, Sam Wise Lee, Sam Lee, who in, in his own right is an amazing artist, incredible artist. And I said to him one day, hey, look, I want to get an image of this particular character, and I want your interpretation of this character. This is what he's going to look like. And Sam drew me the most lifelike portrayal of Armand Sueño. And it's kind of spooky but as well, because even though it's on the website, I haven't put it in any of the books because I wanted to remain true to my to my feeling that I wanted to have Stevens and illustrations in my books. But it's kind of spooky how Sam interpreted what I said to him, I think, personally, when I look at the, his image of Anon Sueño. It's 
it's spooky in the sense that it feels like it's he's really there in front of you looking at you and staring at you in the face and looking into the depths of your soul when you look at the image of him. It's very lifelike. He looks very ancient <laughs> and, and looks like he's almost able to, to read you and draws you in. Come, come with me. Come look at what I'm going to make. Come read, with, come read, read the books that I've written. Let me share with you what, I've, what, I, what I know, if you dare. You know, this kind of powerful glance. I love Samwise, uh, Sam's image. It's fantastic. I really love it. But I didn't feel like for a moment that I, when I saw it, I wanted to use it in any of the books. I wanted to remain, remain true to Stephen's images, and I really felt, still to this day, feel as though Stephen's images portray what I am bringing to these books. In regards to the information, in regards to the, regards to the, the content within those books. Now, finally, Ehor Grace. Ehor Grace, my poetic heart, my poetic heart, Ehor Grace. So it only became really apparent to me after I, after really probably in the middle of last year, really the middle of last year in, in 2020. And that was only because I'd done the work. I'd done the work enough to be able to clear the way, clear away all the all the overgrowth of my own personal wounding and I began my own shadow work to pull away all those all that garden, all that foliage that had kept him me from understanding that my heart, my poetic heart, had a face. It was a being. It wasn't just a a, a feeling, an emotive feeling of of I want to write, write poetry, I want to be a poet. It wasn't like that at all. It was it was actually a part of myself. It was always there, waiting for me to pull the branches away, maybe waiting for me to clear away all the, the overgrowth. And there he was, this beautiful Māori man who looked like Lord Byron, this Lord Byron Māori man who just had, who loved women, who loved nature, who loved men, who loved, who just loved for the sake of loving. But his deep, inspiring, powerful words would be emotive, would be, would be seductive, would be enriching and uplifting. And this is Ehor Grace. This is this is Ehor Grace. And I said, Ehor Grace to me, Stephen is a man who has a kaleidoscope of, of verse. And he rides in a waka, which is a canoe. And a canoe, he rides in a waka across the, across the multiverse. And all the languages he hears from all these beings across the universe, and the multiverse, I should say, across the multiverse, he listens to them and hears them, and he channels that energy through his heart. And what he does from there, he puts it out into the world through poetic verse in English. The English version of that, what he hears. He interprets it and puts it out to the world for people to hear it. He uses the entire lexicon of language, but his language is colorful, it's spectacular, it's kaleidoscopic, it's deep and emotive and powerful, uplifting, poignant, spectacular, and bewildering. So Stephen interpreted that with this amazing vista of this canoe going through this kaleidoscopic, multidimensional river that's flowing across the sky in the stars. And Ehor Grace is paddling the canoe, the waka, through the stars, through the multiverse, as any poet would, reciting poetry as he moves through this magnificent vista, through this infinite, creative universe, multiverse, and quite special too. And I'm quite thrilled to be able to 
have that image. When I first saw that, I was like, oh my God, he's done it again. He's just mad. he's gone. He's, he's done it better than he did last time. He's done it. I mean, every time he gets better and better and better. Armand Sueno was mind-blowing. Pablo Aguero was just like, wow, you've, you've nailed it. Lord Beautiful Somerset completely nailed it again. And of course, now with Ihor Grace, wow, just taken to a whole new level of interpretation and imagery. And I'm stoked, so stoked that I can put this image this beautiful image in this beautiful book that I've written for Inga, A Flickering Light Called Fate. So once again, Stephen Templer, you can find him, Stephen Templer, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-T-E-M-P-L-E-R.co.nz, dream book, The Art and Adventures of Stephen Templer, illustrator, artist, extraordinaire, He's got some pretty cool shit on there, man. He's got street art, wall art, automation and box art, tea towel prints, commission projects, children's books. He's written, he's, this cat has written children's books, illustrated children's books, which have been amazing prints, project positive, animations, Uncle Birdies, which he did, he did a voiceover work with Jermaine Clement from uh, Fight of the Concords. Stephen was in that as well. He did a bunch of artistic interpretations, but also did voiceover work for that as well because Stephen is a very multi-talented man, let me tell you what he can do. There's no nothing he can't do. He is, he is multi-talented. He's a performance artist. He's a dancer. He's an illustrator. He's an artist. He's an amazing sportsman. He's a great commentator. He's, he could make the most fantastic podcast. He's, he's a, a brilliant raconteur, brilliant raconteur. And a true character, true character. The Sausage Circus is also part of his portfolio. And uh, you can find him there at stephentemple.co.nz. The Sausage Circus, <laughs> that's something you want to see. You want to get a chance to see that at some point. Like one of those old peep show thing where Jiggy's on, on an on a, on a old pram, kind of a four-wheel pram kind of thing. Um, you push along and you look inside the, the panorama. Uh, the box, and you get, and he, took, one of his friends, turns a handle on you. See these puppets do things inside this, inside this box. It's beautiful, vintage, fantastic stuff. Amazing character, Amber Cobra Design. Now the website I'm looking at, I think I'm sure that Amber hasn't touched it, hasn't gone back to it for a while, looking at it. But I can see that it's beautiful. You'll find on there her welcome, welcome page. More about her, more about her work. You'll see that all the work she's done there. You can contact her there on, on her own homepage. And you can see the number of projects that she's worked on. But she, Amber's been quite busy over the last few years with a young family. And, of course, that would take up a lot of her time. So for me, I've given her a wide berth and able to be able to still work with her because I want to continue to work with her. So I've taken a step back and concentrated on doing other projects. But you can find her work, AC Design, A-C-D-E-S-I-N. GN.co.nz Amber Cobra. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Matewa. I'll see you soon. Dide, Dide, Ho. Dide, Dide, Ho.